Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. This is episode 80 and the second in a two-part series in the Diane Butterfield story. In episode 79, we started off with Diane's story where she and her husband work for years through infertility, adoption, and then finally have three children of their own. Her story takes a tragic turn when her two youngest daughters are killed in a violent head-on car accident. We pick up this week on the story here in the second episode. Stay tuned for the next several twists and turns and see how one person chooses to approach and overcome the worst of the worst along their story path. And as she says, quote, I'm not in charge of what happens to me, but I'm totally in charge of how I get to act and react. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story power serves you best when you know how to use it. I had a particular story um, after the girls had died that was a a personal miracle that I don't expect to ever have anything like this happen to me again, but it should only take one like this. (laughs) It was such a gift, but I I was visiting a friend and um, in an adjoining neighborhood and this, I don't know how long after the girls died. I mean, nothing is ever the same again. It could have been a few weeks. It could have been a few months. It could have, but I was struggling. And um, anyway, stopped at her house for I don't know why. And her little daughter was there and said, go give Diana a hug. Go give Diana a hug. And she, she knew how much I missed those little girl hugs. And um, of course, her daughter couldn't be prodded into doing it. And I kept saying, Jana, it's okay. It's all right. Don't worry about it. And I got in my car, and of course it was dark, and it was at night, and it's a perfect time to totally lose it, you know, and cry, because nobody can hear you, nobody can see you. And I, I just lost it, and I drove back into my, to my driveway and uh, just totally fell apart, missing, missing, missing everything about those girls. And um, I knew all the right answers. I had no doubt. But I found myself saying out loud, Heavenly Father, do you know what has happened? Does, do you, does this matter to you like it matters to me? Do you know what I am going through? Are you aware of me? Now, I knew all the right answers. Yes, he loved me. Yes, he was aware. But I, I just felt so alone. And I said, if you're aware, could you maybe just send a shooting star or something? And they go, no, 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 no. Sorry, sorry. I'm not asking for a sign. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not. And but at that very moment, through the whole length of my view between the rooftops across the street and you know, up to the all you can see through the car before the roof gets in the way, for the full length of my view came a shooting star. <laughs> and Wow. At that moment, I was, I knew that he knew 
and that it mattered and that he understood my pain. He understood my loss. He understood my grief and that he knew me. So I don't want to have to put him in the position to have to prove it to me again. <laughs> but it was, a, it was an amazing, amazing gift. But that's why I was saying before, things that were placed in motion long before the moment of our, my, our need. And so I've come to call that the principle of the shooting star. When I started to realize somewhere, way out in space, there must have been a, a meteor, a comet, a fragment of rock that somehow had been there for who knows how long and how it got into the orbit to interact with Earth's orbit and came through the atmosphere at exact right location on this planet to be exactly the full length of my view through this narrow gap in my window. That's a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that. Sometimes I feel the same way. I know the right answers. I know that he's supposed to be there. I know that he supposedly loves us. <laughs> but sometimes on a personal level, it's just that question of, could, could you tell me that you just love me? Could you just tell me? You know? Yes. yes. And so when other people, when you share, when, um, you know, in the Annie Schmidt series, Finding Her and having, you know, the testimonies from the people involved with that about um, God personally being aware of what was going on in their lives and helping them through it. And the, the being able to see the orchestration of God's hand and awareness of the individuals, me being able to hear that about other people also makes the likelihood that that he has that same involvement with my life even better. So I feel like hearing these stories Boys, me on a personal level, and I'm sure that it does for others also. You know, if if God is aware of so many people in their in their trials and their pains, and will send these small but miraculous, and not even so small, really. I mean, you know, <laughs> big and miraculous things to let you know that He's aware of you, that He's probably aware of me, and He's probably aware of each of the listeners out there. Not just from a "that's the right answer," but from a "yeah, He really is." Well, he, he absolutely is and has been. We just aren't aware, as aware of him as he is of us. And it's a rare gift when the two sync up. Mm. And you are aware of each other at that moment. He always is. And, and, and we just aren't always certain. And so while this story and the story of Cherry and Keith coming, I mean, these are, these are true miracles. It doesn't deal with all of the time in between and all of the years in between and all of the difficulties in between. It doesn't mean that everything's easy. It doesn't mean that my pain was any less. It doesn't mean my loss was any less. But at that moment, I knew it mattered. And that was a gift. You knew that it mattered. You knew that God was aware of you. You knew that he was in charge. And you also know that knew that you had the choice to build a story around misery or around healing and happiness. And then you actively use your agency to create that story moving forward. One, one day at a time, one minute at a time, one week at a time. 
Whatever it is you can do, you just need to do. And there are times in our lives where it is literally breath by breath, yeah. or moment by moment, or day by day. And in some people's lives, they might not experience that. So that's all right, too. You do what you can do with mm-hmm. whatever your situation is. And I, I mean, it's just the gospel according to Diane, but I don't think I'm going to be judged on the kinds of things that have happened to me. I'm not in control of those things, but I do think I have a responsibility to, I think I might be judged for how I handle whatever absolutely throws my way. So, you well, know, I'll never, I'll never be Miss America, so I can't be judged on beauty or how much I weigh. <laughs> You know, so it's got to be a little deeper than that, right? Well, and and all judgment aside, you know, regardless of any type of of judgment or religious affiliation, it it comes down to heaven and hell on a daily basis in your life. Do you choose misery and let it overwhelm you, or do you choose like like Viktor Frankl, like you? that regardless of how horrible the circumstance is, the one thing that nobody else can control, that no one else can take away from you, is your choice to choose your frame of mind. Absolutely. And while, you know, for anybody who's actively tried to do that, you understand how incredibly hard that that can be sometimes when you're dealing with raw emotion, with, with you know, just tragedy. But, you know, you think of the things that happened to, to Viktor Frankl, the the loss of his family, the humiliation, the degradation, the the starvation, the horrible things that they went through in those concentration camps, and always coming back to the one thing they can't take away from me is what's going on inside my head, no matter what else they do to me. And it's definitely an upper level skill. There's no question about it. And it's definitely one that takes practice, but it is also definitely available to everyone. It, it is. And sometimes it gets quite simple. Would you rather be miserable yeah. or would you rather choose a good life? Yeah. And it doesn't mean it comes easily, but, but you really can choose to find a way. You can find a way. And it's, it's a process. It's a journey, but it begins with a decision. And it, it just begins with a decision. And really... Joy is much more fun. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, when you can get there. So, so on a, you know, people are listening saying, yeah, that's, that's a great idea. You know, absolutely, let's choose happiness. But when you are completely unhappy, when you are completely immobilized with sadness or anger or fear or regret or whatever it is, what is the day-to-day thing that you did? You know, so, so we, we breathe you breathe, you make it through that. And then what's the next step? How do you choose to be happy? Yeah, I, I think because it's a common thing I tell people now, just keep breathing, keep breathing. So it does start with choosing to keep breathing, but then it is keep going. Just, you know, one step, one choice, one decision. For example, um, after the girls died and and neighbors had all been so lovely and generous, and our fridge was full, and it, was, it had been quite a few weeks after, and my 16-year-old son just said, Mom, we got to go to the grocery store. We got to go to the grocery store. I, I didn't have the ability to go to the grocery store. I, 
I couldn't do that. I, I, you know, my whole world had stopped. The universe had quit revolving. It hadn't started moving for me again. Mm -hmm. And, and he said, mom, I'll go to the store. I said, okay. And then all of my remaining children wanted to go with him. They wanted to get in a car with a 16-year-old driver. <laughs> How'd you handle that? It was a choice, and it was hard. It was hard. So it's one step at a time. It made sense. It should be okay, just like it should have been okay with Missy and Sarah. I was forced to have to realize that life had to continue, whether it was pleasant or not, whether it was easy or not whether it was something I wanted or not, and I let them go. I found out they came back, one decision at a time. You know, you dip your toe in the water a little bit at a time, the longest time. I mean, there's no such thing as watching TV or going to movies or, you know, or back to enjoying sports or, or, rec or vacations. Or it's, just, it's such a long, long, difficult process, but it begins with the decision to keep breathing and to keep going. And it doesn't mean you're always successful, but you just keep going. How long did it take you before you were able to engage and feel real happiness again? Oh, you know, it's interesting that you asked that. I hadn't thought of this, this little episode for a while. My son chose to serve a mission for the LDS Church, and so he lost his sisters when he was 16, and he left when he was 19, and he was gone for two years, and the day before he was coming home, we're at the airport, so you'll have to do the math on this, let's see, 16, 17, 18, 19, so the answer is five years before I really, but I could put on a good smile, I could get back involved in the community, but I was not feeling, you know, joy and happiness, but I... But I turned to my husband the day before he got home and I said, you know, I am, I am just feeling so odd. I don't know what this is, <laughs> how to explain this. I couldn't wrap my, my verbs around it. I just didn't know what was happening. And I, I said, Keith, what, what is going on? And he said, Diane, you're feeling happy. <laughs> and I was so I, I had I had not recognized it wow. I hadn't felt truly happy you know for those five years and now my son was coming home and when he got home from the airport and I wrapped my arms around him and realized your children do come back mm. you do get them again I it was it was just such, oh, I know he thought I was crazy mom at the airport, but it was really, truly the first time in five years that I had felt real joy. I was great at faking it. Mm -hmm. I was really, really good at it because I didn't want my pain, my difficulties. I didn't want to put that on other people. But, but it really was a process before I could even recognize happy so looking back now from where you're at, which is how, how many years from when your children died? Oh, well, first I have to explain. That's a trick question okay. because, because time is relative. 
it's relative to what you're going through and how you feel. That's true. Because um, someone suffering from terminal cancer, a minute can be a lifetime of pain. Mm -hmm. And then loss, some people are back in the real world in fairly short order and some never engage. Absolutely. So it's a relative question, but I, and, and to some listening to the podcast, they'll think, oh, well, that was a long time ago. That, that's, you know, you should be fine. Just like those who haven't experienced loss will say, oh, you lost your husband and it's been five years. And in your brain, you're going, oh, so you're fine. Mm. But it doesn't always work that way. So um, to, to answer it on a, on a real timeline, they, they died in 1995. So this, this summer will be 23 years. Wow. But I miss them. I don't uh, dwell on it. Something that people don't teach or prepare you for is when you have, and I've had other losses in my life, and we can talk about those, but when you have a loss, immediately, immediately you miss what you had. No one tells you that you will soon, almost immediately begin grieving what would have been. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, I mean, I've lost these little darling girls. And before too long, I've lost daughters that should have been going to prom Mm -hmm. or dating or getting married. Grandchildren. Yeah. You know, grandchildren Mm -hmm. that just aren't here. And so I continue to grieve. I've come a long way in grieving those little girl hugs but I still, I still uh, re-grieve, and it's a real term as we go through different stages in our lives, but I re-grieve their losses. Um, my baby Missy would have turned 30 this last week, and I can only imagine what life would be like mm-hmm. for her and for all of us. And while we don't have a crystal ball, and we don't really know what it would be like, um, and I don't dwell on it. You can't, you can't help but miss what could have been as well. So in hindsight, looking back through all of the pain and the five years of difficulty in, in getting to a place of being happy, it was worth it, wasn't it? I am not the same person, and I couldn't be, because you have to find a way to breathe. You have to find a way to keep moving forward. You have to, and these are tools, like I mentioned before, that I didn't have, that I couldn't possibly have had unless you had to find a way. Mm -hmm. And when you have to find a way, you have to figure out how that is going to happen for you. And different experiences help you, different people help you, different starts and fails and successes help you continue to find that way. So I am so not the person now that I was then because I have experienced so much more. I think that's a fascinating answer. I mean, truly, because our learning and growing, and the more we have to use a particular tool, the better we get at it, the stronger we are, which brings me to the next question, which was, when was the next situation that you needed to use these tools? Well, when I lost my daughters, I just had a feeling that this wasn't the end. I recognize that you don't get to take turns. Oh, you've had your turn at tragedy, so you're done, right? You're you're on the safe list. Hey, that is what that's what I'm counting on. I'm like, <laughs> I've done my share. I, I'm I'm out. 
Well, and, and you very well may be, but I just had a, a foreboding feeling that this was not all. And I found out that in, often in grief, that's the common experience. When you find out that things that only you read about in the newspapers, like my daughter's story was on the, all the news stations and in all the newspapers and people from all around the country were writing condolence letters. And, you know, when the, the kinds of things happen that you think only happen in the paper and they happen to you, you realize, or at least I did, they can happen again. And it did with, with my husband. His journey in trying to be okay again was much more difficult than even mine. And we all do it differently. And he just struggled. He really struggled with the loss of these, these little girls. And we had had serious losses in our life. Um, I don't know if, if, a lot, if a lot of people in the podcasts are aware of the Mark Hoffman bombings in Salt Lake, but two people were murdered um, by bombs. And it was the company my husband had worked for. Um, it was the owner and, and um, his wife was murdered as, as well as, as, well as um, his right-hand man. And overnight, the business closed. And eventually, we lost our, our home. And um, we, we really had a lot of struggles and we started a, a new business and it was doing really well. And, and really after the loss of Missy and Sarah, uh, things just started to not go well for Keith. And he, he started making uh, really not good business decisions and things with legal consequences. And, and eventually the business failed and he had to try and reinvent himself. And we'd reinvented ourselves before. We, we had been in uh, contracting and built big, beautiful, lovely homes and the huge recession in, this, in the, oh, I don't even know when it was, the early 80s hit. And, mm -hmm. and uh, so we, he reinvented himself and had worked for this financial company. And now it was gone overnight. And so he reinvented himself and we built a, a, a wonderful little telecommunications company and I, I got 10,000 customers. It was wonderful. And with the loss of the girls, he just continued. That was it, huh? That, yeah. was, that was his breaking point. It, it was the beginning of the end for him. And he was going hiking with a neighbor friend and he had started saying odd things but ever since I'd married him, he had said, I am only going to live to be 52. He just always had this concept that he wasn't going to live forever. And, and my kids grew up hearing him say it. And so we just kind of get, got used to, oh, right, right, and not paying, paying too much attention to it. But um, he had had some serious health problems that had really altered his outdoor lifestyle and was weighing on him. And the business um, had failed, and he really just couldn't reinvent himself one more time. And I, I um, uh, started back to work uh, for the state of Utah and I, I would come home and he was trying to start back into an insurance business and nothing had been accomplished and nothing was done and he was overwhelmed with depression. And when I've learned from many experiences, sadly, when you are in the middle of something, you can't see it clearly like any 10 people or any hundred people on the outside looking in could clearly see that he was depressed and that this was dangerous. And I was trying to breathe under 12 feet of water 
and we were both in survival mode and we would were in a situation where we could be losing our home again and life was very very difficult he was going hiking with a, a neighbor friend and um, i was going to get ready for work and he would have already been gone to go on the hike and instead i i step out of the shower and Cherry is Missy's dog, you know, is the only one living at home with me. And, and she was barking ferociously, very protective, just barking, barking, barking and running to the back door. And I, I couldn't imagine. I went to the back door and opened it up and there were sheriffs there telling me, do you realize we were about to break in your door? Do you realize? That you? And I, I'm just in shock. And they told me that they had found my husband and he had shot himself on our front driveway the neighbor that was to have gone hiking with him had rung our doorbell, which I didn't hear because I was in the shower. And when he couldn't, you know, when Keith didn't come to the door to go hiking, he started driving down the road and a voice in his head said, turn around and look. And he turned around and there in the driveway between some strategically placed garbage cans and a fence was my husband. And wow. He, wow. found, he found him and saved me from finding him or seeing him if I had left for work. And there weren't windows on the street, really, that, that I could have seen the driveway. And so there had been all this commotion and, and um, paramedics and ambulances and on the, on the street. And I had been totally unaware until the sheriffs were ready to beat down the door and come in and I I found out later their alarm was because they couldn't get my attention and I didn't respond to the doorbell they and wondered if you had been shot also absolutely absolutely what did you do oh well if you need to laugh this is a good time so I put on my my church service mode. I'd been a Relief Society president before, and I just thought, and I was out now in the backyard with the sheriffs, and I said, okay, I've done this before, and so I know you're going to think this is odd, but I am going to, I'm just not going to lose it right now. I'm going to schedule it for later, and they looked at me like, now this is really a strange lady, and said, I, I'm just going to fall apart later because I again, had children to call, and I knew some of the things that needed to happen, and I knew what to do, and I had helped so many other people through this process that I just kind of stepped outside myself and was going to take care of business, and it was very sweet and very tender. One of the sheriffs came and needed to interview me and talk to me about my husband and what had happened and to try and get any details and information I knew, and he said, I just want you to know that I think it was Sergeant Payne is out on the driveway taking care of your husband and he wishes you well. He's the one that took care of your daughters. Oh, you're kidding. Husband. Wow. No. Wow. Yeah. And I, I had a dear friend, again, her name's Jana, the one with the little girl that didn't want to give me a hug who was just quietly by my side as I would be interviewed and she'd step away and then come back and say, just to help keep my brain going. You can't remember, you need to call this daughter or you need to, anyway, so I, I had loving friends around me. But once again, the world just stopped revolving. Mm -hmm.
because I knew that I had been able to breathe before. I knew I'd be able to breathe again. And I was able to teach my now adult children how to do this. And so we cowboyed up and we went to the viewing. We went to the funeral and we went again to the cemetery and we just did it again. And so my children who were 10 and 12 and 14 and 16 when they lost their sisters, now 11 years later, are having to regrieve and learn what they were too young to know as children right. and figure it out again as adults. So where does the story go from here? Oh, How do you deal with that? <laughs> um, it was hard, of course, because I didn't have all the skills I needed. I didn't have all the tools I needed, but they helped me know that I could keep going. I could keep breathing. I could find a way. And again, I had to make, I, I, there was a very specific point when I had to make another real decision. Am I going to be miserable and in pain every day of my life? You know, is that the way God intended my life to be? Because today, yes, today was miserable and horrible. And so was yesterday. And so was last week and last month. And if, if I kept doing that, then every year would be miserable and horrible. And I don't think God intended me to live a miserable, horrible life. And so it was six months after I lost my husband that Christmas was coming. And my children were all grown and gone and out of the home. And, and Cherry was gone. And I realized, I'm going to wake up Christmas morning and there's nothing under the tree for me. There is no Santa Claus. Mm. Nothing's going to magically appear. And do I want Christmas Day to be a sad, difficult day full of grief? I mean, Christmas is truly a reason to celebrate. And I realized, so if there's no Santa Claus, I guess I'll just have to go get myself a present. So, so there was an ad in the paper and there was a sale at JCPenney for some, a ring. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to go get myself something amazing. So I, I was trying to be frugal, but, but, but anyway, there, I, I found a three stoned, um, simple, small diamond ring and I real, and I bought it for myself and wrapped it up and opened it Christmas morning because one stone represented my past. Mm. which had been so hard and so difficult. One represented my present. I can choose to have a happy Christmas. I can choose to have a happy life with effort. And then the one that hadn't occurred to me before was, I have a future. This isn't it. This isn't the end. So that Christmas, I just, it was set in stone. It was set in three little diamond stones. I think that's beautiful. Yeah, I did have a life ahead of me. And yeah. Good future. But in between, the doorbell rang. And there were sheriffs at my door, once again delivering unimaginable news. And my 33-year-old son just my adorable, brilliant, artistic son, who I relied on for everything, had taken his life. 
he had had a traumatic brain injury from a car accident and we didn't really maybe appreciate and recognize the severity of it and it made his life and his work complicated and things spiraled out of control and in a sudden loss and again a choice to have to just keep breathing and once again calling my children and cowboy up i think one of the skills is something you mentioned because i don't choose to get dragged down in the would haves could haves and should haves i just try and deal with what is as best i can So what does that future look like? What did it look like for you? Oh, it took a while. And, and it, it looked like going to a grief group with my children to make sure that they were okay. It looked like becoming friends with a man in the group who I knew I could never date or never marry and that had never entered my, my mind. But, but going to lunch with him and, and going to movies with him and finding out, you know what? That was enjoyable. Mm. I, I do need, I do want this. I do need this in my life. It looked like online dating, which I had told my children, never, never, <laughs> never do that. And now mommy's doing it and had a lot of false starts. <laughs> it, looks, it looks like marrying an absolutely wonderful man who I love dearly, who had lost his wife to cancer. It looks like going from um, being married and going from zero to 12 grandchildren in an instant. And, and uh, that was, that was um, um, 10 years ago, and, um, and we have a wonderful life together. That's the story, and, and, and that, that despite all, I, I have a happy life. I'm surrounded with good people. I love, I love my life. Um, and I, I think one of the skills is something you mentioned, because I don't choose to get dragged down in the would haves, could haves, and should haves. I just try and deal with what is, as best I can. With your husband, the events of, of his suicide, were there any experiences that helped you to be able to help and strengthen others after that event? Yes, and again, it, it's only in looking back that I appreciated the events that happened. But he, he died early in the morning, and things started moving rather quickly. And by afternoon, we found ourselves at, at the mortuary trying to make arrangements. And my sisters were with me, and one of them came racing to the office where I was, and she literally dragged me outside and said, look, look at this. And as we were looking towards the East Mountains, there was the most spectacular rainbow I truly have ever seen. And it was centered perfectly between the columns of the outside of the, of the mortuary where we were. It was just perfectly framed. It, the colors were broad and brilliant and, and intense. And it, um, they just said, that's Keith's rainbow. That's <laughs> Keith's rainbow. Now, I'm sure other people, you know, seeing that rainbow had their own thoughts and feelings and connections. But 
my husband loved, loved the outdoors. He was a great adventurer. And again, at that moment, seeing that rainbow, you know, I, I felt a connection. But later, dear, dear friends gave me a, a photograph of that rainbow. And they had been at dinner in Fruit Heights with another friend of theirs who coincidentally had lost a husband to suicide. She happens to be a photographer, and she too saw that remarkable rainbow and took a photograph of it. And our mutual friends gave that to me. But over the front of the rainbow, she imprinted a quote by Victor Hugo, Mm. and it's something that has helped calm my soul and something that I, I shared just yesterday with someone in a tragic situation. Because you feel so helpless and you feel so exhausted and you do all you can do and you know it's not enough. And, and then there's no more you can do. And this quote spoke that to me. It's, it says, have courage for the great sorrows of life and patience for the small ones. And when you have laboriously completed your daily task, go to sleep. God is awake. Wow. And so when you can do no more, you have no more energy, you have no more capacity, or when there is just nothing more you can do in a given situation, I was able to find some peace and able to sleep, to try to regroup for another day, because truly, God was aware, he's awake. Why did you feel that this rainbow was a tie to your husband? In the photograph my friends gave me, They said, Diane, look at this picture. Where is the end of the rainbow? Where is that? And it truly was, it was from a distance, a photograph of the neighborhood I lived in, in Fruit Heights, with beautiful mountains in the background. But the end of the rainbow was right where my house. From that vantage point of this mutual friend in similar circumstances, who had worked out for herself how to find some peace, through sharing this quote of Victor Hugo, and then my other friends pointing out Diane, this is that rainbow from her vantage point and ours was centered over your home. And it truly was. You know, so many times it's the small and simple things that actually seem so big to us. You know, we find or the the meaning is imprinted on our hearts and we understand things in a way that, you know, that other people don't necessarily see in this situation. That answers come in small and simple ways. Comforts come in small and simple ways. They do. And at times, it, you hear people tell stories like this, and you think, oh, well, there were 5,000 other people looking at the rainbow who all had their own connections to it. And I think, good. I'm glad yeah. they felt connected. I'm glad yeah. they find something of, of beauty and worth and value to them. Mm-hmm. But it was the connecting of friends, pointing Mm. out something that I would have missed for myself. Things of the spirit are communicated through the spirit. And so oftentimes, God can take something that is going on, whether it's your falling star or whether it's the rainbow or, you know, these things and through the spirit can emphasize to you an interpretation of them that has meaning and comfort to you. You might have completely missed had that not spiritually been imprinted. Oh, I think exactly. Because 
the timing of our even being able to see the rainbow in the middle of this meeting at the mortuary, it was wonderful that we were even able to see it so that when my friends, who would end up bringing me this photograph anyway mm -hmm. and sharing it with me, it even had more meaning because I too had seen it. Right. And I too had felt it. And those that were with me said, that's Keith's rainbow. This, this is, you know, this is your rainbow. So even just having to have seen it first, you know, before yeah. the most thoughtful presentation was given to me, whether the rainbow ended at my home or not, but all those little things come together. And as in um, the words of Victor Hugo, you know, go to sleep in peace. I mean, it just being aware that God is aware mm -hmm. brings so much comfort and so much peace. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing your story. I'm overwhelmed by the severity of it. But if you had one thing to share from all of your experiences that you would want to share, to wish upon others, what would that be? Oh, I, I just hadn't processed that, that potential thought. But, but it would be that whether we know it or not, God is there. He is aware. And there is a way. There is a way to be all right. And one breath at a time, one step at a time, one day at a time, He will help you find it. And if it takes a miracle, it will happen. And if it takes a dear friend, it will happen. If it takes suffering terribly until you develop what it is you need to get through, it can happen. I love the diamond ring visual. I love this concept of when we're in a tough space or when we have past stories, this idea of there is a past, there is a present, there is a future, and they all hold something. Like the diamonds feel significant to me because in the past, despite the heartache, despite the trial, there is meaning and growth and learning that can come from it. Something that we can take away from the difficulty we had, then suddenly the difficulty that we face, the challenge, the trial becomes bearable because we found some value in it. We found something we could take away besides loss and pain. And so the past being represented by a diamond, despite all of the, the fear or the tragedy and the loss in it, that there was also value to be had in it. And the present being a diamond, being living in the present so that you are loving the people that are there with you while they are there. There's so much possibility. All of the possibility really is in the present. And I love the idea of the diamond for the future because it has the potential to be a diamond. You know, it has the potential to be valuable if we choose that happiness, if we, if we choose the strength and, you know, and working and creating the story that we, that we want and to see the hope. Thank you, Diane. Thank you for sharing your story. Lori, thank you for asking and thank you for letting me cry with you. As Diane said, quote, despite our sufferings, there is a way to be all right. If it takes a miracle, a miracle will come. Unquote. Your challenge this week is, as you think about your life trials, what are the diamonds of the past, of the present, and of the future? The diamonds of our past, remember, are the lessons that you learned. What are your diamonds of the past? The diamonds of our present blossom in the possibility to create on the spot, right now, right now. 
What can you create in this very moment that will be a diamond? What relationship can you buoy? What what call can you make? What note can you write? What change can you implement? What insight can you can you shift? What makes this moment a diamond for you? The diamonds of our future is the beautiful unknown and of our ability to co-create with God what we want and have the hope that better things are ahead when we are in those tough situations. What beautiful diamond is your future and what step can you take now to create that? You know, one of the things that I felt most strongly about that diamond of the future and talking with Diane was when you're in the depths of some of the most horrible things, that idea of the future being something better is sometimes really hard to wrap your mind around. But the idea of the future being a diamond with great hope and great sparkle and great things ahead, great beautiful, valuable things ahead is something to hold on to, to desperately hold on to when you're in the trenches and things seem darkest. I hope that my talk with Diane has brought you whatever insight might have been needed in your life today. We can learn from other stories, be inspired, see examples, find camaraderie in knowing we don't walk the difficult paths alone. So thanks for tuning in. As always, please go to loveyourstorypodcast.com and feel free to comment with your thoughts about this episode. Um, There's a comment box right underneath this episode that you always have access to. And you can also sign up for the 21 day challenge and get started on 21 days of awesome life hacks sent to your inbox each morning. And if you're so inclined, share one of these podcast episodes with someone you know who might benefit from the message. Share the love people and we'll see you next week.